not here to test. I know my Bible's over there, but I'm going to wing it. I, I, I got it right here. I, 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 not one preacher on this platform. Now, to be here today with three of my good friends, my two dear friends and Hoodster, I'm cool to you in this, my dear friends. To be here, I'm not going to bring anything to this sacred desk that they hadn't already thought about. But none of us, if you're truthful, ever believed we'd be here at 2024. Because I was told when I was on the field to do whatever I was going to do, that was in the 70s, because there's no way the church would be here in the decade of the 80s. Have revival, press many through as you can, the Lord is coming. Too much is out there. Every time something happens, every time a bomb goes off, here comes all the prophecy preachers out. They should have told us before the bomb went off. But anyway, they all come out, and they start telling you all this stuff. And then when the 80s got here, I'm not saying they made a mistake because they was looking for the coming of the Lord. Then the 80s get here, and, and, and people's heads are spinning. And then some goofball comes out and writes a book, that the Lord was coming back in 1988. 88 reasons the Lord's coming. And our preachers, a lot of our preachers, friends of mine, swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. One of them would preach with that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. God, there's baptizing folks right now. I said revival, and I told the pastor that. I said, look, I'm, I'm not a prophecy guy. I am as simple as you can get. I'm elementary. My preaching's not deep, but I just, I, I hadn't read the book. He said, oh, don't, don't worry about the book. But I get a phone call on the day it's supposed to happen, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I got a book that tells me that no man knows the day nor the hour. So I'm in a hotel room, Danny, and, and I get a phone call from a man that I'd preached many revivals for, and he said, Creek. I said, yeah, he said, this is the day. And I, was being, I, I wasn't being sarcastic, but I was. And I said, what day? The Lord is coming. And he said, what are you going, true story, what are you going to do today? I said, well, I've just fixed to walk out of the, uh, the room here and go eat breakfast at Denny's. This is what he said, and if I'll tell you all after church who he was. On rapture day, I said, look, pal, there's no Bible that says you have to go to heaven hungry. There's no Bible that says that. I'm going to eat. Well, we talked a little while and hung up, and he was just, oh, just flabbergasted, and I wasn't taking it that serious. And I've, I've preached for them. I've stayed in their home, and, and it's just he and his wife that was living there. And when you drive up in the driveway, uh, you go through the, into the house, through the, through the uh, uh, garage into the house, and you can look through a window here. There's the kitchen sink, and you see the living room, their chairs, all this stuff. And I got the, oh, I wish to God I'd done it, but at least I thought about it. I wanted to go get a trumpet. <laughs> and drive all the way over there and just sneak into the garage and them sitting in that living room and blow that trumpet and see the look on their face when they don't budge one inch. Folks were baptized by the scores. Two weeks later, they couldn't find them. And then, my God, when the 90s got here, 
and then that Y2K thing in 2000, I was driving back from Wichita Falls, Wichita Falls, Texas, back to Houston, and somebody said, I hope you make it. What do you mean, hope I make it? Well, I hope the gas pumps are working and, and this and that. I didn't have no, in fact, I was getting early and I was getting grocery poundings from folks. I love that Y2K thing. I mean, <laughs> the groceries was coming and the money was coming. That's great. And the Y2K in 2000 came along, and now here we are, 2024, 20, in a few hours. But can I tell you something? 1959 years ago, the Apostle Peter was dealing with the same thing. Where is he? In fact, he wrote that letter and was trying to tell them because false teachers were arising. One translation said they were just making up a doctrine. And he said they are false, they're not real, and they're making merchandise out of you. And you need to understand, they're saying, where's the promise of his coming? Where is he? We hadn't seen a thing. But Peter said, let me tell you something. As long as I'm in this tabernacle, talking about his body, and as long as I'm alive, here's what he said. I'm going to stir you up to remind you the Lord is coming. Now, you can sit here and say we've heard it for all these years. I don't care how long you've heard it. We need a stirring in the apostolic church to constantly remind us if he doesn't come today, I'll look for him tomorrow. If he doesn't come tomorrow, I'm going to keep looking for him. But God, if I got anybody in Christian life that would shout to the high heavens and say, God, stir me in 2024. I can't just go through the motion. Stir me. And Peter said, here's what he wrote, 1959 years. Here's what he said. As long as I'm alive. And here's what got me. I'm going to remind you of things that you already know. So they, they, they read that letter and they're going, we heard that sermon before. God, if I, I told our praise team, if I had a daughter for every time y'all sang the same song, I could buy a new car. But it doesn't bother me. We even get up there and have them, we request it. Well, what's wrong with repeating a message? It's the word of God. I mean, I go back through my brother hell, go back through my notes and say, well, you preached that five years ago. Well, they probably, I guarantee they done forgot it. So I'm going to remind them. So here's my goal. As long as I got breath in this body, I'm going to tell you, you got to pray. You got to fast. You got to get to church. You got to love the word. I don't care how long you've heard it. I don't care how long you've been around it. But you've got to be stirred. Have I got anybody in Christian life that wants to get 2024 and say, stir me, God, to a place in my spirit I've never been. I don't care how long you've heard it. Peter said, I'm going to remind you because Peter's saying, I'm going to die. Go read your Bible. I'm I'm going to die. When somebody's drawing their last breath, they don't have reason to lie. I'm sitting there looking at my pastor. My pastor drawing his last breath. Wasn't only my pastor, but he was my, and I think he and your dad were the same age when they passed. He was my father-in-law. But I saw him, a Korean War vet, shot up in the Korean War. I saw him moving that contraption around on the bed. They are trying to keep him alive. My pastor, you can't put a price tag on your preacher. 
one sermon that got you over hell and put you on your way to glory. It's priceless. You can't put a price tag on that. He was moving that thing around. He's trying to keep his heart going. He said, could you help me set up on the side of the bed? So I got his legs, pulled him over to the side of the bed, pulled him up, and he sat there. That thing was hooked up to him. And he said, I'm tired of this. Get this thing off of me. I'm tired of it. I said, oh, God, Paul, I can't do that. Number one, I, I don't know what to do to you if I pull that out. And then number two, I'm married to your daughter, and she killed me. I, I just, I, I can't do that. He sat there, Billy, sat there on the side of the bed. And in my mind, I knew he was going to die. He said, I need to say something to you. I said, sure. Go back here. He's pointing. Go back back there. Up over there. I said, where are you? In your office here? Yeah. Go back there. I said, okay. I want to give you something. I said, okay. And every sermon he ever preached from 1952 to 2003, he had them stacked up all around. And he said, make them live home. Don't let them die. They're yours. I want you to have every message I've ever preached. They're yours. Number two, he said, don't stop preaching Acts 2.38. Whatever you do, don't Stop preaching the necessity of the Holy Ghost and the necessity of being baptized in that name. And he looked at me, Danny, and he said, promise me. I said, oh, I promise you. I'm sold on it. But in his till his dying day, he was reminding me of something I already knew. But Peter said, let me tell you something, church. You can sit here and say, I've heard it before. You can say that's just old news. But Peter said, as long as I'm alive and I'm breathing, I'm going to stir you and tell you. I don't care how much you prayed yesterday, hit your knees again. I don't care how much you talked in tongues last week, you got to hit it again. Because until that trumpet sounds and until that day comes, I can't. What is all of this about? It's about when it's all said and done. Are you going to be saved? Are you going to be that's what it's all about? Are you ready? Because can I tell you something without nothing matters if you die lost. If you die lost, nothing matters. But if we can somehow remind you and stir you, I know the sound people whatever trying to figure out what's the title of my sermon is whatever I want it to be. I'm just giving you a melody because I'm simply telling you it's boggling my mind we're, we're, that we're still here. But what's going to happen in 2024? How many of you that are here today won't be here? Because if you think you can just go through the motion and get it done, it's not going to happen. So I, I love going to my office when it's late at night. Ain't nobody there. And the lights are off. And that's when I do my reflecting. So here a while back, I'm sitting in the office. Charlotte called. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'll be home, but I'm reflecting. I'm talking to who? Well, you know who it is. 
But I, I, I got to do some thinking. Somebody had mentioned the word retirement. What are you going to do? And you're getting older. Quit telling me I'm getting older. I already know that. But I told one the other day, they called me. I said, well, let me tell you something. You put the word out. I may be getting old, but I haven't lost my kick. I'm going to keep kicking and keep screaming because God has promised a revival, and I refuse to throw in the towel. Are you here? I'll never be satisfied until every pew in this building has got people on it, wanting and hungry for God. Somebody in Christian life ought to make a declaration to God. Stir me to want to have a move of God uh, like I never have before because you can't just go through the motion. So I'm sitting there, Danny Glenn, by myself and I leaned back. I said, okay, God, what are you up to? And I felt a presence come over me all by myself early. I'm sitting there. I felt a presence. I called Charlotte and I said, I got it came all over me. God ain't through. So I stood up in my office all by myself, Sister Chance. I walked out in that dark auditorium and I hollered as loud as I could. You ain't seen nothing yet, devil. You ain't seen nothing yet because everything that God has ever promised, he's going to bring it to pass. And I just want to know if I got anybody in this house that said God's going to save my kids. He's going to save my family. He's going to save my co-workers because he's promised us a harvest and a revival. But somebody has got to get so committed that it's more than just a Sunday morning fix. We've got, I told our congregation, please, oh my God, they're going to run me off. I told our little church, quit inviting people to this place. Invite them to his presence. Get so much of the anointing of God that when you show up at your job on Monday, they can feel something in the cubicle beside. You want to have revival? Take this glory to your job, to your school. It's got to get out of this house. We show up at church. Oh, y'all ain't no different. We show up at church. We, we, can, we raise our walk in there. Okay, Chance, give me my fix. Here, come on, praise team. I ain't prayed. I dragged myself out here. I got ready. Now, here I am. You better sing it down. Preacher, you better preach it down. God, have we got anybody that said, I'm going to love him regardless. I'm going to serve him regardless. I'm going to praise him regardless. I'm not going to wait on anybody else. We used to just mention church, the word church, and people went crazy, loved it. Their life was centered around it. And now we're trying to figure out after when, after Sunday, you can't hit them with a scattered shotgun. Uh-oh, getting real quiet. So I said to our church the other night, oh, Wednesday, because we, we just have a class, and they love it. But I said, and, and they got a great teacher. 
And I said, are you telling me that everybody else doesn't need this? That all you need is a Sunday morning feel good. And that's it. Where is that? What is God saying? Some movement, I've been saying it for years, is going to get a hold of this truth and they're going to go crazy with it. Seven days a week, they're going to proclaim it and do something with it while we sit over here with our thumb out. I can't believe she's going up there twice a month to a Baptist church singing. What can't you believe? They're not after her talent. They feel something there that they don't feel at home. And I'm saying to myself, if they're that hungry, then they're going to get in that book and suddenly something's going to begin to shine. I need that Holy Ghost. I need to experience talking in tongues. I need that baptism. And before you know it, and we sitting over here going, well, I sure hope after they get it, I sure hope they change their ways. Oh, my God. What I'm saying to this congregation is, when Jesus rolled into the city and they waving palm branches, everybody feel, I mean, the praise team was doing great. I mean, they was waving palm branches, and people were shouting, Hosanna. And they was going, oh, God, this is great. This is good. No preaching. Just listen to all that. This is fantastic. And they had no idea. Jesus didn't announce it. After they get through waving the palm branches and shouting, and the praise team has sang down the glory, Jesus said, come on, guys. Where are we going? There's something in my house that's not right, and we're going to go fix it. Now that you praise me, follow me to the temple. And when he walked in there, the money changers were there. Show you about how, how merciful he is. He goes over in a corner somewhere, and he's wrapping together a whip. You know somebody bound to see him over there. You know somebody bound to say, what's he doing? And I see him looking around, and the disciples are going, he's lost it. I, I hear pow. People pow, pow. And he didn't ask permission. Oh my God, let's go back out there and sing. No, no, no. He walked up there and raised that big old foot and kicked over a money changer's table, took that whip and started slashing around. And when they was all scurrying to get out of the way and money flying and the pigeons were released and they were shouting, he set us free. And everybody just, they, they had no idea what's going on. Jesus started introducing to them four houses. He said, this, you've made this a den of thieves, but it is a house of prayer. This is not supposed to be, this is a house house of prayer. Look at what the Bible says the next thing that happened. He introduced to them the house of power. The blind came. The lame came. And the Bible said and he healed them. So you go from the house of prayer to the house of power. The last house he introduced was the house of perfection. Because he said out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Number one, house of prayer. Number two, house of power. Number four, house of perfection. Oh, amen. 
There's a little line in that story in Matthew that says, after these, they saw him healing people. And the chief priests and scribes were sore displeased. And then it dawned on me. You'll never get to the house of perfection without making a trip to the house of trouble. If you find yourself in a house of trouble and the Goliaths have been unleashed, it is God saying, this is not a prelude to the end. This is a prelude to the next house. But you cannot obtain the victory until you find your giant. And can I tell you something? Goliath was not there to kill David. Goliath was there to introduce David. Because if there had not been a Goliath, then David is just another shepherd boy. He's just one of the kids. But when your giant shows up and God says you got to defeat that giant, on the other side of that giant is your kingdom. On the other side of that giant is your revival. Somebody here ought to shout, find me my giant. Because as soon as I get through that house of trouble, I will have my victory. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody praise him right now for a moment. Somebody talk to him. Come on, Christian life. My God, my God, my God. Somebody, somebody get stirred. Somebody get stirred. Somebody get stirred. So then I'm closing. I think. Then I realized, Brother Chance, I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, okay, God, what now? I turned around, Billy Hale, Hoodster, I got, started pulling out these buckets. My wife came and put sermons in the 50s, sermons in the 60s, sermons in the 70s, all the way to 2000. So I reached back there and pulled one out. Reached in there. I just laid them all across my desk. Then in hell, I looked over here at this one. I think the year was 1955, 50, something like that. And I opened it up. And he wrote, Erlene, 1954, 55, things to look for prior to the rapture. No internet, no Google search engine, no iPads, no phones, just to walk with God. I leaned back my chest, I was reading that, I thought, what do you mean a one world government? One world monetary system. False prophets. We're right down the list. Oh, my God. He was telling them then, the Lord's coming. And I looked over here and I pushed over there, and there was this message he preached. I think it was late 50s. Get rid of the excuses. Oh, God, I, I, I just sat there and preached to every one of them. I'm just sitting right there in my chair. Just went through all of that. And I thought, God... 
if he felt it then, what's happened to us? And in closing, Peter said, I'm not only going to stir you up, but he said, he is coming. They can scoff, they can laugh, they can make up doctors, but he is coming back. And he said, look around you. Here's what he said. All these things you see are going to dissolve. It's all going to come to an end. And he asked the question, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In other words, how are you going to act and behave knowing he's about to come? So I leaned up in the desk and I wrote on a piece of paper, can you choose to live for God any way you please and still be saved? Right under it I said, I can't. He's laid down the way and the plan to be saved. But Peter said, I need to know, how are you going to be behaving when he does come back? Are they going to have to beg you to pray? Beg you to give? Beg you to fast? Come to church and how dare anybody have to beg me to worship? Preachers get up, and I've done it before. I've been guilty. And we say, oh, God, fill this place with your Shekinah glory. And you know what we do? We step back and wait for a cloud. I went the other day, and I thought, boy, this is great. It was happening, and it was a smoke machine. <laughs> we pray, glory of the Lord, glory of the Lord. And then I got that book called the Bible. And the apostle said, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I said, oh, my God, when you walk into this house full of the Holy Ghost, it's what's in you that's going to bring about the glory. So what's in you when the glory's there? Cancer, you got to leave. Diabetes, you got to leave. Heart condition, you got to leave. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory, can heal it all. Stand in this holy house. Thank you for listening to this simplistic word. It's elementary, I know that. Brother Hale felt the anointing while to go, and he wanted to continue to preach. My simple thought was to tell you, 2024 should be a year where the church is crying to their preacher. Stir me. Stir me. You don't have to tell me to pray, preacher, then why aren't you praying? You stand a better chance of making the rapture being in the house and presence of God. When's it going to hit us again? Brenda, when's it going to hit us again? That we leave church, can't wait to get back because we're so hungry for move of God. I got in the car. Pastor's got in his driver's seat. His wife is in the back. We had a marvelous service, and she was sobbing, sobbing. 
Well, you thought, my God, right in the midst of revival, somebody, she was sobbing. And he turned around and he said, what is wrong? Why are you crying? What a marvelous move of God. She said, I'm not crying because there's anything wrong. I don't want to leave this. I want to stay here all night long. She's raised in the church. Oh, but those days are, those days are what? I'm hungry at 69 years of age for God to bring back that ancient landmark that I fall in love with the things of God and wrap my heart around it and say, I'm not letting this go. You want me at a five o'clock prayer meeting? Tell me. You want me to tell me because I have got to be stirred. Stay in your house of prayer, your house of power. And when you get to your house of trouble, defeat Goliath and watch God perfect some things in your life. Come gather around these altars with me. Come gather around the altars. Somebody raise your hands to the heavens and say, God, stir me. Have I got anybody here that wants to soak this carpet with your tears and say, God, I'm not there yet. I'm not saved yet. Come on, somebody. Come on, come on, come on. Jesus, every man, every woman, every husband, wife, children, young people, somebody cry out to God. Raise your hands and your voices. Stir me, God. Stir me. <laughs>